It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello, before we start this week's show, I'd uh, just like to give a shout out to people who've written us reviews on Apple iTunes. This is the best and the easiest way for us to get new listeners to the show. So please go on to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. So the first one is from Mr. Grumpy Old Dog, who says, keep it up. And he's from Poland. The second one from Scotty, who's from the United States, who says, Mid-Atlantic provides for great conversations. Richard C020 says compelling global political discussions. He's also from the United States. And lastly, also from the United States, Paul Ungu says this is a great podcast. Please, wherever you are on planet Earth, go write us a review and we will acknowledge it by reading out now on with the show. Hello and welcome. My name is Royful Brown. This is Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. What I haven't done recently is any UK news. And we're going to write that today because we have a fascinating incident which is happening in Britain at the moment, whereby Gary Lineker, him of the footballing boots back in the 1980s and 1990s, could well be changing government policy. BC executives are scrambling to repair relations with Gary Lineker to stave off a staff mutiny, and they hope that the presenter could be back in his post next weekend. The row has left the BBC facing its most serious crisis in years, and Richard Sharp, the BBC's chair, is fighting for his future. Tim Davey, the Director General, has returned from the US for crisis 
Mrs. Talks to hopefully end this standoff with Gary Lineker. The row began when Lineker condemned Rishi Sunak's new migration bill, prompting an extraordinary excess of high profile presenters and commentators. Sharp has admitted introducing to the Cabinet Office a friend and distant cousin of Boris Johnson, Sam Blythe who later provided a loan guarantee facility for Johnson for up to £800,000. This whole thing is incredibly murky. Lineker has not apologised for his tweet, which he said that the language that the government have used around its immigration bill is akin to what Nazi Germany would have said in the 1930s. And his suspension from the match of the day meant that the corporation had to abandon most of its weekend football coverage because friends and colleagues of Gary Lineker declined to then appear on the show. This then led to numerous other sporting shows being cancelled because other presenters also decided that they would not work for the BBC that week. And Gary Lineker has not apologised for the tweet. The BBC said he has now said that he will be in place next week for Match of the Day. Talks are continuing to try to resolve the row that's led to widespread disruption of football coverage across the BBC. There are fears that more programming could be affected on Sunday, including the Women's Super League and Match of the Day too. Sports presenters boycotted Saturday's programmes in support of Gary Lineker, who was asked to step down from Match of the Day after he criticised the UK government's asylum policy on Twitter. The show went ahead with no presenters or commentary and began with an apology instead of its famous theme tune. Simon Jones reports. Now on BBC One, we're sorry that we're unable to show our normal match of the day, including commentary tonight. A match of the day unlike any other. No presenter, no pundits, not even the famous theme tune. Instead, 20 minutes of highlights, commentary replaced by the sound of the crowd. Gary Lineker himself spent the afternoon watching his former side Leicester City. The BBC's highest paid star forced a step back over a tweet about the government's migration policy. His suspension prompted what's being described as a mutiny at the corporation as other... Michael, I'm going to come to you. You like a little bit of footy. How did this all start? Michael speaks over to you. I think, to be fair, one of the, one of the things that you mentioned that is not maybe 100% accurate, I don't think he criticised the policy. I think he was talking about the language being... Yeah, it was the language. You're right. And it's an issue. It really is. I don't know if, if you saw it, but what's her name? Cruella Deville Braverman. My dream is to see these people being deported on a plane on the front page and so on and so forth, right? The fact that she didn't lose her job that day, we are in a serious problem, Like right? Democracy is disappearing right before our very own eyes. And if it takes a footballer and Ian Wright and Alan Shearer, literally Tottenham and Arsenal rivals, to work this out and the rest of the government and the people don't seem to care, I think it's a big problem. But yeah, all of this kind of language, it just has to stop. We have government's immigration, new proposed immigration bill, where we say that we're going to be incredibly tough on new immigrants that come to Britain, especially immigrants that land by boat. This, many people say, is actually contrary to European law and contrary to some of our abilities to do with migrants. We've been incredibly tough on on immigration. At least the government wants to seem to be tough on immigration. Does anybody want to unmute and maybe tell us why? What is the background to this immigration bill? 
Yeah, welcome to a very touchy topic, I think, in the British public and media. We've had, what, 45,000 arrivals in the UK in the British Isles last year, which is more than I think has been seen for best part of 40, 50 years. This has increased exponentially year on year since the latter half of the 2010s. And every time, be it Suever Braverman or Cruella de Vil, as I rather like the other speakers reference, or Pretty Patel have made it abundantly clear that they would do something about the borders. And this has obviously been a running theme since Brexit more broadly. And nothing has been done. The British and the French met late last week or over the weekend to discuss this. And I think the British are going to be putting up a substantial multi-million deal amount of funding to increase patrols, a new facility, a centre and so on. But this this doesn't resolve the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are migrating or moving through Europe. And for whatever reason it may be, maybe the UK NHS or the UK just with London, it seems to be a more attractive place. Under international law, migrants are supposed to seek a refuge in the first country that they enter, but many of them continue on through Eastern Europe or Southern Europe and up towards France, Britain, Germany. And, uh, and this has led to a increase in concern amongst local populations and populist members of the political spectrum, including members of the Conservative Party, to try and do something about it. But it's not very easy to find a comprehensive solution and this idea of flying or relocating many migrants to Rwanda breaches quite a lot of humanitarian law or human rights law and also is also just very unsavory. Now some think that it is it is a necessity that the UK government needs to undertake uh, but really undermines the UK's ability to say what it preaches in its foreign policy versus what it's doing at home. And so there is no easy way out of this. Meanwhile, uh, Sunak and the Conservative Party more broadly are continuing to absolutely flail in the polls. They are behind the Tories by about 20 percentage points. And Sunak, despite improving his image, is still firmly behind Sakir Starmer in terms of leadership. So uh, the Conservatives trying to use immigration as a bit of a scapegoat, as a little bit of a reason by which they should be uh, kept in power, is uh, it's not working as well. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be very clear how the UK government is actually going to tackle this more systemically than simply putting a band-aid on the issue at the moment. So we'll have to see how things play out in the next coming weeks and with an up uh, upcoming... Mike Holden, friend of the podcast, G give us a sense of what happened last week. Gary Lineker posts his tweet comparing government language around this immigration bill to of the Nazis in, in the 1930s. Then what happened? Yes, as you say, back end of last week, Carolyn said something uncomfortable for the government. And as we've seen before with footballers or indeed any, anyone in the public eye who is critical of government, a certain subset of the government and the Tory party jump all over and try to stifle any criticism, particularly when it's a BBC voice. But it, from saying there would be no, not no repercussions, but that Garland would be likely to carry on, suddenly on Friday night, they announced that he was not going to carry on and they were reviewing the situation. They've since had a weekend where the BBC has made themselves look not only completely foolish and completely out of control of the situation, but utterly beholden to the government, the Tory party. They've spoken about impartiality and impartiality rules, but as many others have pointed out plenty of times over the weekend, other voices have spoken on the BBC while being BBC employees, but all ha having very strong, let's say, right-wing views or pro-government views, certainly. And the issue of impartiality has never been brought up. In fact, 
Sometimes it has by people complaining to the BBC, but they, the BBC has gone on and defended these people's right to speak. Andrew Neil used to be heading up some BBC political programmes uh, and had very strong right-wing views and pro-Brexit views and pro-Trump views outside of his BBC broadcasting duties. But the BBC is, is famed for its impartiality. However, presenters who work at the BBC have a code of conduct, but many of them have tweeted and professed political views outside of the BBC. This is what Gary Lineker did, which was to come down very hard on the language of the government. And the BBC, through its director general, suspended him. He is the host of a really popular football programme which happens every Saturday and what many people have said is this is massively inconsistent because other presenters of BBC programmes have professed political views beforehand and haven't been dealt in this way. Is it because, people say, the Director General of the BBC is very close to the Conservative Party and the Conservative government in particular, the reason why he singled out Gary Lineker to be be made an example of in this regard. I think, though, because we do have an international audience, I think what we do need to do is really maybe understand the position of the BBC as an institution in Britain. This isn't equivalent to, let's say, NBC or CBS in the, in the United States. The BBC holds a rather peculiar and political iconic status in British society. Rizwan, just for our international audience, give us some of the background to the position that the BBC holds in UK media. Thank you, Royfield. So the BBC has a, an almost a position of reverence in the British psyche, and it's been around for over 100 years, and it's funded through the license by the license fee so everyone who has a, a television has to pay a, a license fee which then goes primarily it goes to the bbc to fund all the bbc's output it and that does mean the on the b within the uk we don't have any adverts on the bbc compared to other channels it's a broadcaster that the government the royal family major institutions always speak and of all for example the monarch's christmas broadcast has always traditionally been broadcast primarily by the BBC. And because it's publicly funded, it has a, an important role of neutrality. Traditionally, it's always been very, it's tried to portray itself as very neutral and trying to avoid criticism for being overtly political. Although they may have some, they obviously interview politicians and have, they occasionally, they're often criticised by governments of all colours. You're obviously oh, a big football fan. So we have the Director General of the BBC has suspended Gary Lineker because of this tweet, which criticises the language, not the policy, but the language and compares it to the language of Nazi Germany in a tweet. The BBC then suspend him. Then, for, for match of the day, can you just take us through roughly through the events which sees all the other co-hosts then deciding that they're not going to appear on the show? And then what happens to the BBC sporting coverage over the weekend? People started speculating who would do it. The word scab was used. And then the presenters, the co-presenters all started saying publicly that they weren't going to present it. The commentators then, I believe, came out and said the same. 
the follow-up football program on the the football focus is a program on a Saturday before match of the day, way before match of the day. The presenters for that said they wouldn't be appearing, and so the dominoes started falling. And then some of the footballers started saying that they wouldn't be interviewed by the BBC, and the Professional Football Association issued a statement as well. So suddenly we had all this coverage, but with nobody to talk about. <laughs> the dominoes fell in that way. And then the Sunday shows were the same, though not for other sports, for for football only. The rugby was commentated on, and etc. But I guess that's a different ball game, literally. So, yeah, I think that just about covers it, Royfield. If I can just chip in for one second, on the night of a 15-minute, Match of the Day programme, which is normally 90 minutes. So Match of the Day, a lot of these audience will know, is a roundup of all the Premier League matches with all the goals, all the action, commentary and chatting between the matches. Instead, we had a 15-minute programme with no commentary, no funding, no discussion of the matches, which was a little bit like standing outside a TV shop window watching it go by. And I think that was the point where the BBC thought, oh, we've messed up big style here. And Obviously, things have taken a different turn. Programmes on the Sunday were also being affected and radio programmes were also being affected. So it was growing so substantially every day that the BBC had to act very quickly. I believe the Director General flew back from abroad to actually try and combat what was going on and has made a statement saying we've resolved it and we're eventually going to go to a review of the BBC and its independent stance on this. If I could just fill in a couple of things very quickly, Grofield, if you don't mind. The BBC was always seen as independent, but the Tory party, since it's come in since for the past 12 years, has systematically attacked the BBC, seen it as a voice piece for balance, which they're trying not to have. So the, any voices of disdain are being closed down. And the BBC is now a very empty vessel when it interviews people about politics. One other thing I really want to say that hasn't been mentioned, and it's very important, is that there are no safe routes to the United Kingdom, that, uh, sorry, to Northern Ireland, but to the rest of the Great Britain. There's no safe routes from abroad if you apply for asylum. So that when we've even made promises to people in places like Afghanistan, they've been tangled up in red tape and there's no chance of them joining their families when we've made promises that we would allow them to come. So that's why the numbers have gone under this present government from 2,000 coming across each year by boat to 45,000 coming across every year by boat. A very risky and dangerous thing where people have died on the on the journey across because it's not always a very peaceful, it can be quite stormy, the, the, the sea across. So I just wanted to fill in with that. Thank you for that context as well. And also it needs to be put into context of Britain accepting as refugees or asylum seekers compared to our other other comparative countries in Western Europe, that actually France annually has 90,000, so double the amount which Britain actually gets, that compared to other comparable countries our number is actually smaller. It's not to say that 45,000 is not a big number, but compared to other countries, they actually take in much more. Let's go back to Swella Braverman and this policy, and let's compare it with the response from Gary Lineker and also the response which he's been met from his colleagues. And I'm going to come to you, Roland. Is this going to derail the proposed government policy. Has there been such a groundswell of opinion against the language of this bill that possibly this bill 
will never actually be enacted. Roland, what do you reckon? I don't think so. I think they will plow ahead with the bill. But before I get to that, there is something that, since we, we have an international audience, it's important to mention. BBC is divided into two basic parts. BBC International, which is for profit, and I'm saying that because there's an international audience here, and then BBC UK, which is a not-for-profit organization. It is a public service organization, essentially paid for by the license fee. For From those, not who have a TV, but rather who view live TV in the UK. Important nuance. Other important nuances here. I think Gary Lineker was suspended not because he made a statement, but because he refused to publicly apologize with the statement that was prepared for him. The moment he refused and said he would not be appearing on the program, or they said, you do, we don't want you to appear on the program, Ian Wright, who co-presents the program with him, said he wasn't going to appear in sol- solidarity. Knock-on effect, Alan Shearer said the same, solidarity, and that extended to other presenters across the BBC. Now, I think there's another important element here. The BBC has, in its charter, a role of impartiality. How that impartiality is then transmitted upon its employees is one thing. The contractual, as far as I'm aware, the contractual relationship that the BBC has with Gary Lineker is not that of an employee. It's Gary Lineker is effectively a freelancer. And there are no social media guidelines that prohibit him from saying what he wants on social media. After all, if you have seen his Twitter profile, he doesn't identify himself as someone from the BBC. He just identifies himself as someone who used to kick a ball around and now talks about kicking a ball around. So there is an essential question here of whether employees, sorry, companies can muzzle their employees based on what they are or what they stand for. But he's not an employee. As you just said, he's actually a freelancer. And this thing is incredibly complex in in that regard because to all intents and purposes, if you ask the average Brit in the street, does Gary Lineker work for the BBC? They would say, yes, he's the most high-profile presenter in terms of his wage packet. He earns £1.3 million a year presenting football, various football shows for the BBC. He is most definitely the jewel in the crown. And if people didn't realise how important he was, him being taken off the show has led to a whole cascade of events, which has led to the BBC putting out a truncated 20-minute programme instead of a 90-minute one, and various other footballing programmes not happening over the whole weekend of the BBC. And if the BBC stands for anything at the weekend, it is sport. So this has been an utter disaster in, in that regard.
But before we dive too much into whether how free somebody can be to speak their truth when it comes to politics and still work for an organisation which is supposed to be impartial, this is all started because of this government bill. I know, Roland, you gave me short shrift by saying this is not going to change government policy. But Gulruk, you're sat there in, in Leafy Hampstead. Surely the government have taken a real knock here in terms of popular opinion, at least getting behind this popular present. Various Conservative MPs came out saying what he said was terrible, it was deplorable, but he seems to have the public's backing. Surely the government need to listen to what people have said and to at least ameliorate their language, if not modify some of the policies around this immigration bill. Hi, Rofil. Thanks very much. Yeah, all I'm going to say to that is, of course, it's very obvious that should happen. I'm not sure it will. All we have to do is look at the other terms the BBC has really made a mess up. Just for the record, apparently, he's now been accepted back, according to The Guardian. So he's back with the BBC presenting his show. He's tweeted already that he's delighted. So they make their mess, then they make a public apology, and then, of course, he's been reinstated. Something a while back happened with my childhood friend, Samira Ahmed, who was hosting, which, what was it? I think it was Newswatch. And the first ever thing happened where she basically won an employment tribunal because she had a dispute over equal pay. And basically, she was in the fact that she was underpaid by 700k for actually hosting audience feedback. And that was compared with Jeremy Vine's salary, another hugely known presenter for points of view, another sort of political program. So they went through all this problem with her, but she won at the end of the day and they became very sheepish. I think situations like this can kickstart people into pushing forward to stand up for their rights. And I think with enough pressure the government should take it on board but it really is up to the people i don't think if you left it in the hands of the government they're going to say oh yeah gary lineker great he's got lots of public support let's let's change the policies no the people need to still push forward themselves you need to have a lot more opinion polls and you need to have more petitions and all sorts of stuff thank you for that gulruk i'm going to come to you tanya what lessons if any, can we learn by this? Why was Gary Lineker singled out? And can't remember who exactly made the point before, but various other presenters of BBC programmes haven't been singled out for their party political tweets or for their opinions outside of the BBC. What can we learn from this? What will the government learn from this? But first off, very simple question. Why was Gary Lineker chosen to be the, the sacrificial lamb in terms of adhering to government policy when no other BBC presenter previously has had to do that? Hey, Rafael, thank you. Yeah, I think the answer to that question about why Lineker was singled out, I think a lot of people have touched on. The government has a pattern of trying to close down dissent. Any contrarian views to what this government is trying to do or whatever policies they pull out their bag, they absolutely shut it down. They started off this particular line of attack from 2016 Brexit campaign by shutting down anyone who was seen as an expert. Bankers were telling them that you were going to destroy the economy, the central bank. Kanye, does everything always have to come back down to Brexit? (laughs) (laughs) It certainly does, Royfield, because... Nothing has changed since they got enough success using this playbook. 
And so that playbook remains in, in, in play. Everyone who said that you were making a disastrous decision by going forward to Brexit, they called the judges enemies of the people. They absolutely, Gina Miller, who took the government to court to make sure that this was the Brexit vote referendum was done in a democratic way, was absolutely chastised. And she was called all sorts of names by the Daily Mail and the sort of red labels. Again, I talked about people in the finance sector, your CBN, your central banks and the likes of them were absolutely called all sorts of names, all sorts of saying stuff like experts are really bad and have no idea or no clue what's going on. And the rest of the people actually just gulped that up. The rest of the media actually just followed like sheep. And you've got some people in the media who actually call the shots here, the likes of your son, the Telegraph and co. And the sort of ideas they push out there, everybody else just follows. And so that's one of the reasons why Lenny has been the one who they want to use as the lightning rod for this situation. He's really witty. He's a great communicator. And he has, as you can see, he's just displayed his strength against the BBC. He has a great following. He's able to get people to understand and see clearly the evils or the absolute shambolic policies that this government is ushering in. This situation itself, I feel, is just a microcosm of everything else that is happening in this country. The paralysis of once formidable institutions that, that made this country respected the world over. Somebody mentioned it earlier, I think. He said it was a systematic attack on all of these institutions. They've absolutely undermined all of these great institutions. The BBC, can you imagine getting itself into such a mess? Lineker's back, I think the person, Gorok, who spoke before me, mentioned, he's back next weekend. He made, he made no apology and he's allowed to tweet whatever he wants in the future. It just shows you how stupid this was from the BBC in the first place. All road leads back to Brexit. All road leads back to shutting down dissent wherever people are. It's a Boris Johnson play, playbook. It's his style. And the likes of Suela Braverman all those people who came in with Johnson have simply just taken that and want to build upon that to find new successes where there is none. Thank you for that, Tanya. If you're in the audience and you have one of these pink tickets and there's even a couple of people on stage, why don't you join the Mid-Atlantic House? Mid-Atlantic is a podcast. This has been recorded for a podcast that I've been producing for some this is going to be my ninth year where I look at US and UK politics. I have widened the remit somewhat in the last year. We do look at politics from around the world. So if you like informed debate, primarily from the US and the UK, but occasionally sometimes from a Canadian perspective and or from other countries around the world, why don't you join us on the Mid-Atlantic House? Also, if you're listening to this at home and a goodly few thousand of you, 10,000 people each month down download the podcast. Thank you for that. Please write us a review on Apple iTunes. It's the easiest and the best way for me to get more new listeners to the podcast. Also, if you are listening to this at home and you'd like to be part of the live recording of one of these podcasts, download the Clubhouse app. That is the best and the easiest way for you to be informed when I'm actually recording these rooms. You then can be in the audience and then you can raise your hand, ask a question and be on a recording of the podcast. So download the Clubhouse app. It would be wonderful to see you and hear you on one of the future podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now is the time if you are in the audience. We do have a bit of a crowded stage. I've done this very differently from normally because I'm having problems when I use club decks. I've resorted to using my phone for this. Hence, there have been some audio issues. So please forgive me. If you are in the audience and you do want to come up and say something, please uh, feel free. The issue of impartiality is still at the heart of this dispute the Director-General of the BBC attempting to clarify the situation. We are in the BBC and myself are absolutely driven by a passion for impartiality, not left, right or pandering to a particular party. To say, I support your migrant policy, I back it, it's brilliant. He would be taking an opinion. Would you have removed him from air? From the I'm not going to go through. But, but it's a I'm not going to go through all the hypotheticals of the past. What I'm going to. But it's what, what I would say very clearly is, we we deal with these things on an ongoing basis. Deborah Meaden, one of the business moguls on the BBC's Dragons Den, tweeted. I have never been curtailed in my activities on social media, and I have been um, punchy at times, which is why I find the whole thing deeply confusing. Former TV executive David Elstein has little sympathy for the presenter. I think it was a quite deliberate provocation on Gary's part. There's a solution to this, which is for the BBC to separate itself into publicly funded public service content, news, current affairs, documentaries, arts, etc. And subscriber funded entertainment content, in which case it doesn't matter in the slightest what a comedian or a sports personality or any other entertainer does. Callies, will and should the Director General Tim Davey resign because of his mishandling of this whole issue? Totally self-inflicted crises of the BBC's own manufactured making. He has, Gary Lineker has not resigned. We had a, a truncated BC programme of sporting events. Massive embarrassment has been caused to the BBC as an institution. Should the Director General fall on his sword? Should he? I don't think so. Will he? Probably not. I think he, somebody mentioned before that he flew back. I think he was in America or something like that. I think if it dragged on another week, then yeah, he probably it would probably be too late. But I think I think he saved his job by dealing with it quite speedily. Couldn't go on another week. They've got the FA Cup coverage next weekend, and there's no way you could have had silent FA Cup coverage. That would have been disastrous. And so no, I don't think he'll go. I think the more likely person to go is the chairman. I know there's there's a 
inquiry that they're, 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 that's going on right now? Is it the, I can't remember what the body's called, is it the public, the appointments committee or something like that, or the appointments commissioner? The, the House like Appointments Commi- Commission. Yeah, the appointments commission, yeah, that's right. Into sort of whether, the, what really went down when he got appointed chairman of the BBC, because obviously somebody mentioned before that he was involved in brokering an £800,000 loan to Bojo when he was prime minister. And then at the same time as he was being considered for being chairman of the BBC. So I I think he's more likely to go. I would not be surprised at all if he went before that inquiry even wrapped up. But I don't think the general is going to go. I think I think he's dealt with it quite speedily. And I think he's got... I don't agree with what's happened. I don't agree with the rules. I don't agree with that Gary Lineker should have... They should have, they should have been suspended. I think he should... I think he was perfectly right in terms of... Not necessarily on the substance, but just... I think he, he had the right to say what he he said without being forced from his job. But at the same time, the direct, the BBC can give... They, they, they can, they, I'm no lawyer, but it was a court of law. They've got grounds for what they, I guess it would be more like a tribunal. They've got grounds because the rule, the rules are, like I said, I think the rules are stupid. But I think that there, there was some room in there. there. There was some basis for them suspending him. You mentioned before that because he's a sports, a sports, sportscaster, that the rules allow him to say what he wants to say, which is true. But there's another part of the BBC editorial guidelines, which... I think most people didn't know existed until before, until last Thursday. Now we're all experts in the BBC editorial guidelines. But there is another part in the BBC editorial guidelines that makes a vague reference to if you are, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but words to the effect of if you are a big star, then whether you are a sportscaster or a political correspondent, then the rules apply the same. So, yeah, it's like a vague, woolly... It's an out... It's an out which has made, which has hoist them on their own petard because the definition of a large star is Sir Alan Sugar a large star? I would say yes. Is he as big as Gary Lineker? No, but he's pretty large and he's been able to tweet whatever the heck he's been wanting to tweet for years. Yeah, I agree. It's not a strong out because, like you said, Alan photoshopped Jeremy Corbyn in a car next to Adolf Hitler and said, don't vote for this guy. So, yeah, it's definitely not a perfect out for them and they've definitely not applied those standards across the board but i think it's enough of an out for him to for them to be able to say for them to be able to come back later and say look and they've already basically said they've already signaled that's what they're going to do haven't they because they said because there's going to be a review of the guidelines which is basically going to be some version of the guidelines weren't so clear before but now they're going to be clearer which direction they'll be clearer in i guess is anybody's guess right now they might be even stricter or a lot more open but the guidelines woolly as they were I think do give them a little bit of an out. So to answer your original question, the only question you asked of me before I started waffling on, no, I don't think he's going to resign. I don't think he has to resign and he probably won't. But I think the more interesting question will be the chairman. I think I think he'll probably go because especially if there's, again, as well, it's media, isn't it? If there's a brand new story in three days, I just how many stories the past three weeks? Like we've all forgotten about the Northern Island, Northern Island deal. Everybody's forgotten about that. But there could be another big story that, that makes us all forget about Lineker Gate. But if it does drag on, yeah, I think the chairman's days are numbered. I'm still fascinated, though, by this bill. And will government policy actually change? People seem to be giving my suggestions that it might short shrift. Suella Breverman has been taking a kick in, a rhetorical if not actual kicking through at least the tone of this bill, Tunak has somewhat 
moved slightly backwards in terms of the criticism of Lineker and and the BBC's response. Senior Tory MPs have basically gone, I think this was all been a little bit too much. George Osborne, infamous chancellor that brought in austerity in the 2010s, he says the language around this is inappropriate, if not the bill itself. Surely the two takeaways, the few, a few takeaways here is number one, Gary Lineker is a saint. You can't touch Gary Lineker and, he, and you shouldn't muzzle him. Number two, the BBC created a crisis over literally nothing. That tweet would have been forgotten about seven days later. And then number three, that conservative pressure on the BBC is manifold. So if we're talking about impartiality, the BBC has shown itself to be very partial to the Conservatives. Uh, And sorry, there is even a number four. The policy doesn't appear to be popular. Anybody who hasn't spoken so far, feel free to unmute yourself and answer any of those points. Uh, And contribute a little bit. I think we have to go back just a little bit in terms of why this particular bill has been put forward. You probably, most people be aware that there was a similar bill not that long ago, put forward by Boris Johnson. So most of the points the government is seeking to address with this bill are essentially already in law. Um, And the argument is that this is more of a political gambit to stoke up conversations about the government doing all its best to tackle illegal immigration. And of course, the bill is called illegal, the Illegal Immigration Bill, whereas we're talking specifically about refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, who have the right by international law to enter the country by any means necessary. So this particular bill has been put forward purely for political ends. And that is why also you see this sort of extraordinary language that is being used to talk about this bill by politicians as part of that sort of culture war. I would say that, to my mind, what the BBC has, the reason there's such a fuss around Gerolinica is because it derailed the government's plan to have this national conversation, drive a focus on the Conservative Party as the only party that is willing to tackle illegal immigration and give the dog whistle to those people who fear immigrants and stoke up that sort of feeling of anger about immigration. That's what that whole bill is about. And uh, as I was saying, Lenica derailed that, which is why there was such a ferocious engagement with the BBC to force the BBC to address Lineker, but that has failed. So to your point, I think this will imp- have a great impact on the bill itself and its progress through the House. I also think that inevitably the behaviour of the chair and the chief executive of the BBC has exposed their in- uh, lack of impartiality. And I think inevitably the pressure would be on them to step down. So I do expect one of the two or both, will step down before the end of this month. Thank you for that, Barbara. Anybody, feel free to unmute, jump in. What does this whole episode tell us about the culture wars in the UK? The culture war left versus right, conservative versus liberal, progressive, etc. What conclusions can we draw from it? I think we already have the very clear breakup of those sides from, sorry to say, but from Brexit times onwards, it's quite clear that there are certain people whose agenda is to preserve 
the way of life that's been around for a long time in the UK and not acknowledge the changes and the cultures and the different things that are progressing in, in the UK. And they're fighting very hard to isolate and intimidate anyone who rises against it, which is part of what this was all about. You mentioned earlier about the the government, step, uh, Prime Minister, stepping back. These Tories were the ones that brought up the, the, the tweet in the first place. They brought it up very many times on many discussion programmes and then stepped back which the BBC failed to deal with it and now refused to get involved, leaving the heads of the BBC to out to deal with it by themselves. And in the interim, Twitter is alight by left and right fighting each other with pronouncements of support. Glad that there's no commentary whatsoever on football and things like that. So the battle lines have been drawn for a long time and are continually to be drawn, particularly in the fact that we have an election within two years and very possibly much sooner if things go much worse for the Tory party. Just to say in the background of all that, we have a situation where many people can't feed themselves or heat themselves because of the rise in prices over very various things over the past few years. And we have continued things like racism going on all the time in the UK. And that those battle lines are drawn and truly established, I would suggest to you. Yeah, I think in some ways it's the reverse of Liz Truss. <laughs> so it, stay with me. So Liz Truss and Cole with their let's, to be charitable, maverick economic plans that they unveiled. I think part of that, at least from some of them, it was a sort of last throw of the dice, um, especially then. I think polls have improved slightly. They've stabilised. They were polling, Tories were polling terribly. And most Tories, probably still, but especially take, take yourselves back six months ago, thought, OK, next election is opposition time. So it's a case of well, <laughs> maximum two years left. Hey, let's just go for broke. Now, I don't know if that was Liz Truss. I think she was actually a true believer. I think some people, especially people around her, it was a case of let's just go for broke. We've only got two years left. Let's just empty the empty the wish list while we can. I think this is a similar thing, but obviously in a completely different direction. That was in terms of excessive laissez-faire economics. This is more beating the culture wars, beating the drums of the culture wars. It's look, it's two years left. It's a case of we're going into opposition, so let's just do what we want now. Let's just empty the sort of rabid reactionary anti-immigrant right-wing wish list but then at the same time i think somebody else put in the comments as well from some people it's an acceptance of or an acceptance of a loss and for some people it's a case of what we're doing so badly what can we possibly do to maybe turn it around and what do you do when the economy shit you turn to stirring up stirring up uh sort of the stirring up the culture wars and stirring up what people are already that the angry people who they can hopefully rely on to turn out to, to bolster the vote to at least render a hung parliament so it's all i was going to say sorry to be cynical but this is a political room so i guess we're all cynical it's just politics isn't it it's just a case of we've only got two years left so screw it let's do it or we've only got two years left we're doing really badly what can we possibly do since people can't feed themselves or heat their homes what else can we turn to i know let's just let's get everybody angry let's turn out as much as we can in terms of people to put an X in a box. But I think an example of that is is what Richie Sunak, Richie Sunak, I have no doubt in my mind that Richie Sunak and Cruella, Cruella, De, Cruella Braverman in any other any other time, she would not be his home secretary. Like she's a, she is a weight around his neck, but he can't get rid of her. And by extension, he can't get rid of that, that right flank. And so he's got to, he's got to, I, I genuinely do not believe that he believes in half of what he's saying, which is why he's such a disappointment to me, because I was quite optimistic about him. But again, it's just politics. He's scared of his ultra right flank and he's just playing to the drumbeat.
just on, on that point, and then Mike Holden, I am going to come to you. I'm going to move, move the conversation on considerably, but at the heart of what I've heard you say, Coolies, I'm going to get you to answer Mike, and then we'll, we'll open this up, is that the role of the Home Secretary is always a relative hardliner. Now, just because we do have an international audience, the Home Secretary is the Law and Order Minister. They deal with laws and policing, etc. It's one of the three biggest offices of the British state, along with the Foreign Secretary and the Prime Minister. These are big roles. It's not by accident, is it, that whoever is the Tory Prime Minister, the Conservative Prime Minister, they have to have an ultra hardline home secretary to pander to the right of the conservative party now put it to you mike and then i'm going to throw this out that potentially and i'm left of center so maybe this is just wishful thinking we we could have a realignment of british politics at the next election because since 2016 and arguably beforehand The biggest fault line in British politics has actually been between moderate conservatives and hardline conservatives. The big fault line in British politics is not in the middle of the political spectrum. It's the Conservative Party, which is constantly fighting amongst itself. And that is the reason why, A, we have Brexit, B, we have austerity, C, we have this implosion of the British economy, and then it plays itself out even into culture wars and the rhetoric around immigration. Mike Holden. Yes, I think you're quite right. There's no doubt that a good section of the former BNP and former UKIP parties have managed to infiltrate themselves into the Tory party and are now driving the wedge within their own party. There are some quite well-informed opinions around that say this immigration bill is so strong, it's not only very likely to fail when it gets into the Lords, what have you. That is the plan, because, as the colleagues were saying earlier on, they don't have very long left. 18 months, absolute tops, probably that. It would be quite useful for the right wing of the far right wing of the Tory party to have this policy that's red meat to, let's call them what they are, racist, that is is blocked because they can then come along and say, see, we are trying to work for you. We are trying to do what we said we would do. We are being blocked by elected lawyers, celebrity do-gooders and the Labour Party. Vote for us and allow us to finish the job. This policy is deliberately so cruel and unworkable. As Yvette Cooper has been in the comments tonight, just tearing it apart, just by asking factual questions like, where are you going to keep all these people? What happens to people who are a victim of sex trafficking from abroad who come in and will then have no recourse to anything in this country? And, and all these questions don't have an answer because the government really use the failure of the policy as a stick to beat the opposition, including the opposition within the party. Question to the people of colour on, on, on the stage. It's something which has really irked me about Preeti Patel, Suella Braverman, et al. Do you think that if you are a person of colour in the Conservative Party, that one of the ways of proving your bona fides is to be ultra hard on immigration when you are non-white. Is this some level of virtue signalling 
to the right of the Conservative Party. And maybe that's the reason why I can't remember exactly how many of the last few Home Secretaries have been non-white, but definitely the last two. This is a way of doubling down and proving that you are more British than anything else. Michael speaks. Go for it, Michael. It also works in the reverse. And so there are two things that grate me on this one, right? So num- number one, I think we had this conversation briefly, right? Chrissy Patel has the whole trauma of her family being evicted from Uganda and so on and so forth, right? That should disqualify you from being in that position. If you have a personal vendetta against Africans because of your parents' experience, then why the hell would you want to be Home Secretary? Next point, right? The other things that, like, what you're just saying here, but if the reverse also works. Imagine if this was a white female home secretary. I would use the C word, a racist C word is how you would describe the person. So it does, it is serving a function that she is Indian because if she wasn't, she would just be a racist. Thank you. We're talking about Britain. You just have to look at the number of people in power who whose families originate from other countries and they take this hide lot hardline approach, right? You can't just say it's like Asians in Britain or so many other countries. It's a similar thing. And they might not even be Asians as well. They're, they may be coming from places like Poland or whatever. Sorry to clarify. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean the fact that she was Asian. I just meant the fact that she was non-white like, Anglo-Saxon. Kemi Badenoch is doing the same job, right? Candace Owens is doing the same job in America. Yeah. So my point is that it just seems quite weird how so many people in power who do come from, whose heritage is from elsewhere, seem to be pushing these kind of quite complicated immigration policies. They have a very hardline sort of attitude towards it. Last question. The Tory party have taken somewhat of a kick in. At least Tory MPs have now somewhat retreated from their position of attacking this British national gem, Gary Lineker. The BC is at least come out of this shaken and embarrassed. What about the Labour Party? Are we seeing that celebrities, national icons, can be mu- a much more effective opposition than Sakia Starmer and, back, and the shadow government? Tanya, what do you reckon? Thanks. Interesting. Very fascinating question. I think we're seeing that against this particular playbook that requires you to use the effect of populism, then populist celebrities are a fantastic neutralizer of it. So if you watch, if you are like me and you work from home and you get the opportunity to watch Prime Minister's questions or listen to it on the radio whilst you're doing some work in the background, I listen to a lot of mumbo-jumbo through that time. Every week, Prime Minister's questions, Boris Johnson never answered a straight question. Keir Starmer is a former director of prosecutions. He's he's a fantastic lawyer. He knows how to nail people. He knows how to manipulate the conversation to nail you when you're telling a lie. Boris Johnson just never answered a question. And then came Sunak, and he's doing exactly the same thing. But I don't even want to call this trust because she was there for only 40 days. But it shows you, like, rifles are getting great moderate when you're moderating this room. And if somebody says something abrasive, you step in and you moderate the room to make sure that we're getting facts and we're getting actual value from what's being discussed in this room. The Speaker of the House, in my opinion, since John Berko left that position, has been absolutely ridiculous. Since John Berko left, Conservatives has, have manipulated their way into getting a Speaker of the House that absolutely does not help the opposition hold the government to account effectively. 
And so they've just reading roughshod over the opposition in every area. Like in which government would we allow Liz Truss to make the disastrous decisions she made and not be held onto account before those decisions were made? And everything else is going skyrocketing right now. I don't want to jump back in Royfield, but I think populist celebrities have now shown us that they are an effective way of holding government to account. Could not agree more, but I do think it does point to a kind of political ineptitude of the left here that we have football fans all over the country supporting their teams and some of them holding up banners saying, go Gary Lineker, Gary Lineker is right, Gary Lineker against the racists. And we have an opposition, a Labour Party that isn't stridently actively pushing home a positive agenda for what they would do, as opposed to just reacting to the dying embers of this Tory administration, which has been in power for some 13 years and has led to Brexit, austerity, food banks, and people going cold this winter. This has been me, Royful Brown, with my friends on stage, Iris Fink, Michael Speaks, Coolrook, Coleris, Rizwan, Piotr, Mike Holden, Tanya, Barber, Content Anarchy, Roland, all contributed to the show. I'd like to thank them for that. If the audio quality on this podcast is a little bit subnormal, it's because I've been doing things arse about cock, as we say in, in the UK. So please, if you got this far, I thank you for bearing with us. Anybody's written us a review. You have been mentioned at the start of the show, but here's another shout out to people who may be in the audience listening to the recording of this podcast. Go find Mid-Atlantic, Apple iTunes, and please go write us a positive review. It's a great way of me getting extra listeners to the podcast. A five-star review would be awesome, but be true to thine self. Leftist Center Politics is right-thinking politics. We don't demonize our right-leaning brothers and sisters, but we try and meet with them, break bread with them, and win them over with the strength of our argument. The Commons is an important space in any democracy where people of good faith can sit down with each other and should sit down with each other. However, first and foremost comes belief in the humanity and the shared humanity of us all. Those people that deny that are beyond the democratic pale. This be me, Royfield Brown. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Mid-Atlantic. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.